everybody. Welcome back to Autism Confidential, the podcast from the National Council on Severe Autism. And today, uh, I am your host, Jill Escher. A big announcement, one of my co-hosts, Amy Lutz, who is Vice President of Autism, um, NCSA, sorry, um, earned her PhD last month, and she is now Dr. Amy Lutz. Um, she will be back now that she's done, you know, with her dissertation and her dissertation defense. Dr. Lutz will be back on the podcast um, with some new guests pretty soon. Um, and in terms of other announcements, I do want to say we do plan to come out pretty much every Monday over the summer. There are some vacationing people, including myself. Um, so we might not stick perfectly to the schedule. You'll just have to forgive us. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and introduce today's very special guests, and I will do it with a musical accompaniment. Nice. Hello, Tom McKean. Hello, Jill Escher. Tom McKean is a very special person in the autism world. He was diagnosed with autism back in the 70s. Um, he is now, he's not, we're the same age. Uh, we're, we're in our mid to late 50s, I guess I should say. Um, but he was diagnosed back in the day when autism was quite rare. And um, he was among the very early self-advocates advocating for, um, for autism, first through the Autism Society of America. But, you know, Tom has undertaken many other things apart from that, which you'll hear about. So, Tom, welcome. Um, I want to hear first about your childhood. And what was it about you and like around what year uh, that concerned your parents then that led them to seek a diagnosis for you? Uh, the, the way my mother tells it, um, at least what I, what she, the story she told me was uh, something happened. I, I don't remember what it was. Something happened at six months old. And I have no memory of that obviously, but uh, she said that something happened at six months old that then uh, it made her uh, suspect, it made her suspect autism even back then. She was uh, interested in, in childhood education and, you know, she was reading the books and she was reading what was known about it at the time. And uh, she kept taking me one doctor to the next and they all said no. And she said yes. And then uh, finally, when I was 14, um, not far from here at the OSU hospitals, uh, OSU I was diagnosed. Being Ohio. Ohio State University, yeah. Mm -hmm. The OSU hospitals, uh, they, they diagnosed me. And what was it about you when you were 14 that led them to give you that diagnosis? Uh, um, I, I just heard uh, you on a uh, an interview a little bit ago talking about uh, co-occurring conditions uh, that go along with autism. I don't don't know if you mentioned depression specifically. You may have. I know you mentioned the anxiety. It was that kind of thing. The things that just naturally happen with autism, the, the depression and the anxiety and the, um, the, the kind of being a little down and not quite right, if you know what I'm saying. But what, what autism traits did you have? Because depression is not in the diagnostic criteria. No, it's not. And I'm not sure 
uh, exactly. I mean, you would think I would know, wouldn't you? I, I guess I wasn't ready for that question. Uh, <laughs> but you were clearly. I don't, I don't remember... really like thinking back on, on that time. I mean, I wrote the book and um, I don't really like thinking back on that time because it's really kind of a dark time for me. And it wasn't. Your teens. Yeah, you know, I was 13, 14 years old. And, and, you know, even back then in the late 70s and the early 80s, they were putting people in institutions. And that's what happened to me. And that was kind of dark, too. How did you end up in an institution? I mean, uh, the I, I will say. The doctor recommended it. And mom and dad said, well, OK, go ahead. And why would the doctor recommend it? Did he think it would be therapeutic? The, uh, I guess they, I guess they felt it would be the, the best place for me at the time. So you were a young teenager. Yeah. Um, you, you were troubled in some way, Yeah. right? Your, your communication is clearly not terribly impaired. You're very, it might've been back then. It may have been back then. Okay. Yes. Were, were you failing in school? Was that part of it? I think I was failing in school, but I think it was because I was bored. Hmm. So what was this institution where, where you were put in your teens? It was, it was a, I would assume, a stereotypical psychiatric facility. It's like many that I have toured since then. And it was this uh, place where you kind of lived and stayed and, and received therapy and tried to get your life together. But in order for that to happen, you had to be cooperative. I'm not really sure that I was back then. I was later after I left. I went back to see some some psychologists and I was more cooperative with them then. This was but a during that time I really wasn't. I was I was maybe a little bit of a rebellious teenager. Okay. Well you're not the only one. And no it's it's you... nice to know that part of me is normal. <laughs> well you so so you ended up in this psychiatric institution in, in Ohio, right. which it seems to me was a miserable experience for you. It would be a miserable experience for anyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And tell, tell me a little bit about it. It was just well, that. They, they didn't know what, what autism really was because, you know, Temple and Thomas hadn't come along at that. And when you say yet. Temple and Thomas, you mean you Temple know, Grandin? And, and Thomas McKean, yes. And, and Thomas Sean, Sean Barron and Donna Williams, the original four of us who kind of uh, told everybody what autism is and kind of increased awareness, at least to some extent. And mm -hmm. they didn't, they didn't know, what, I don't, I don't know that they, they were able to help me because of that. And I didn't know what it was either. I do remember my mother telling me shortly before she died that, that, that they didn't even tell her. They didn't tell my parents. They said, uh, your son is developmentally delayed and left it at that. I think they were a little afraid of the A word. Oh, well, maybe that was because of the predominance of the refrigerator theory, refrigerator mother theory of the time. That's possible. You know, the although, although the refrigerator mother theory kind of started to, fade fade out when Rimlin published that book in 65 infantile autism right yeah very good you know your oh history. I read it it was a very very good book it was really 
tour de force and, on his uh, part. I'm, I'm not saying it was completely gone by then. I don't think it's completely gone now because I'm still hearing about it even yeah. in 2022. But it was it definitely diminished by that time. So, okay. How old were you when you exited the institution? 17. Okay. So you were, you were there, uh, you get out. Did you go back to high school? What did you do at that point? From uh, June of 80 to August of 83, if I remember right. So it was a little over three years. Okay. And then uh, did you go back to live with your parents or what, what happened? I did. Uh, I watched a lot of Batman reruns and uh, eventually dad, my father, who's working at the big nationwide building in downtown Columbus, some of your listeners may be aware of that, uh, got me a job uh, in the Medicare division. I processed Medicare claims for Ohio and West Virginia for a time. Mm. Mm. From 86 to 89, I did that. And then uh, there was this this goal that they wanted you to meet, production, they called it. You had to process 200 claims an hour. And you can do that. It is possible, but you make a lot of mistakes. And I always felt it was more- 200 claims an hour. Yeah, and I, I always felt it was more important to get it right. Mm-hmm. So I never really reached the 200 claims an hour, although I did have the highest accuracy rating of anybody there, mm-hmm. but they were more interested in the speed. And so one day everybody got a raise except me because I was accurate, but not fast. And I left and um, met this nice girl, Melanie, we were engaged and uh, then we were not. And so I went back to the institution and asked them for some records. And that's how I found it. Asked them for records about what? Regarding the diagnosis. Oh. Because nobody told me. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I, I want to say something. You know, I, I've been around the autism world quite a long time. I've met a lot of adults with autism um, who are now in their I would say 40s, 50s, even in their 60s. Um, there aren't many of them. You're, you're a very vanishingly small population. But I meet a lot of very, very high-functioning adults who were diagnosed You know, back in the day when we were told the only people who were diagnosed with autism you know, were the most severe cases. And I want to say emphatically, that's not correct. I mean, Temple Grandin was not a very severe case. You're not a very severe case. Jonathan Mitchell's not a very severe case. I could think of, you know, four or five people I've met here in the Bay Area who are not very severe cases who were diagnosed in the 70s. So I think it's, it's a little, it, it, it concerns me that, you know, we're, we're sort of saying, well, you know, high functioning autism was missed. I'm like, well, no, not really. I, I'm not sure if we actually have, have proof of that, but that's neither here nor there. I'm just making a side observation. Um, now, how did you get involved in autism advocacy? Because here you were, you know, this guy who uh, found the, the, out he had the, autism. Like, how old were you? You were right. Well, I I mentioned this maybe? on every every. I think just about every podcast I've done, they've asked me that, and I've told them the same story. I was looking for answers, and I I had taken um, I I think. I think I had taken some some mental health courses by then. And I remember reading about it 
Um, and I remember that there was uh, the, the two things that I remembered was that it was associated with mild to moderate mental retardation. That's what they called it at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was thought back then, you may remember if you know your history, that back then it was thought that 70% of uh, people with autism had some form of mild or moderate mental retardation. And I also read that it was uh, pretty hopeless. Neither of those things were good for me. So I, I wanted to know more about it. And so I started calling around looking for information. And I found a, a, a local chapter meeting at the ASA in Columbus. And this I was started long attending. before the internet. Yeah, Tom long before the long onto the internet. Yeah, this was back when we had uh, phones that you had to stay in one place because they had cords on them and you had to like stay right. there and have these great big things on your ears that you talked into. And uh, I, I went to this meeting and I, I remember this is the story that I tell on the podcast and this is true. I was on my way there and I remember having the thought on my way there, what am I going to do? And this is in the book too. What am I going to do if, if they want us to introduce ourselves? If I am not a parent, but a person with autism, but I tell them that, am I even going to be welcome there? Are they even going to want to have anything to do with me? And I was hoping that it wouldn't come up. And I went in there and I sat down and this lady says, I see some new faces today. Why don't we go around and introduce ourselves? And they started going around the table and, uh, hello, my name is such and such. And I have a so-and-so year old son, daughter, grandchild, niece, nephew, whatever with autism. And it, it came to, to be my turn. And I'm not even sure that I knew what I said until after I said it, I said, hello, my name is Thomas and I am the child with autism. And there was this dead silence in the room, way, way, way off to the, at the end of the table, this quiet little whisper. Oh my God, it's a miracle. And whatever they had planned for that meeting was forgotten because it was all about me, which I, had no idea what's coming. Hmm. I, well, these I mean, were, were just... parents, presumably, of children who were more challenged than that. Right. And they wanted to get inside their heads and they thought I was the way to do that. Mm -hmm. Oh, you are the guide to the other world. Right. <laughs> well, that day I was, yes. Yeah. I didn't know that was just the beginning. And yeah. I, this I was start, like Autism Society of Ohio or uh, Autism Society of Central Ohio, Central Ohio, yeah. which okay. is a chapter of the Autism Society of Ohio, which I'm currently serving on the board. And this so was, on, oh, that's cool. So this was yeah. back in the days, you know, I, I was a uh, president of Autism Society, San Francisco Bay Area for a long time. Yeah, you, you, you were the president while I was watching that thingy. That you oh, did. yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I'm still on the board. I still do it. Yeah, you're like immediate past president, I think, if I remember. Uh, right. Not quite immediate anymore, but still on the board. But yeah, I, um, you know, this was way back when autism was quite rare. Right. Um, and you know, when you first visited that meeting. Right. And so I started attending these 
these meetings on a monthly basis. And after the meeting was over one day, this guy came up to me and said, uh, hey, why don't you why don't you put your name on the ballot for the, the National Board of ASA? Um, we need people like you. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Why? I said, well, that's, that's for special people. That's not for me. He says, oh, yes. <laughs> yes, you are exactly who we need. Oh, and so he, he wouldn't stop bugging me about this. He just mm. kept, I hope he's not watching this. He like take offense at me saying that. But he did. He just kept going on. He was determined that I was going to be on the board. And I was determined he was wrong. And finally, I said, you know what? I'll prove it. I'll, I'll do everything. I won't get any votes. And then you'll see. And I got the paperwork in just under the wire. And I got more votes than anyone else did that year. And that was uh, 92. Mm. And the yeah. first, the first, well, he showed me, didn't he? And uh, the first, the first board meeting that I had was in Albuquerque. It was at the uh, National Conference in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And Julie Donnelly approached me and said, uh, hey, would you, like to, would you like to present? Would you like to be on my panel of, of people with autism? No, no. <laughs> but I felt an obligation to do that because it was an ASA event and I was on the board. And because of that, I felt an obligation to do it anyway. So I said, uh, I, I'll do it if, if I can go last. If all your other panelists can go first and I can go last, I'll do it. And this was the only strategy I could think of because, you know, I had played the coffee houses here and playing the guitar earlier. So I was used to the stage. But, you know, what if I said something wrong? What if I said something that wasn't true? What if I said something that was in some way offensive? And, you know, I was a little worried about that because I didn't really know the autism community. And I figured if everyone else went first, I could just get up there and build on what they said. And I did. I built on what they said and I said some things on my own. And after that talk was over, there were, there were four of us presenting. I think I still have the cassette from that. And after the talk was over, something happened to me that didn't happen to the other three presenters. People came up to me and wanted me to present where they were, and they offered me money for it. And I'm thinking, what have I gotten myself into here? But I so started what did you doing want to, it. What did you want to accomplish, though? I, I mean, here you were, this guy, again, nothing I, against I want that, you, Thomas, I did but want very high-functioning, yeah. right, compared to you know, the people who you were, you know, your, your colleagues, right? What did you want to accomplish? Well, there were a couple of things I wanted to accomplish. One of the things was, you know, what I said earlier, I wanted to learn more about what this is. And I also wanted to see if I could do something to prevent others from, from going through what I did when I was younger, including the institution. And, you know, my goal was to keep one kid from going through that. And I kept, I don't know how many since then. And I'm thankful for that opportunity. But, you know, I, I, I was trying to, to improve quality of life and, and, and see if I could prevent other, other kids from, from going through the trauma that I did growing up. Mm, okay. So you, that you kind of became known as an advocate. You actually have written books about your life yeah. and your experience, uh, 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 right? 
let's see. It's hard to see. You're going to have to tell people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there. Can you see that? Shooting there. from the light. This was the first book published by uh, Future Horizons back in the day. And uh, that helped. I mean, at a time when very people knew what autism was, at least your version of autism, right, got out there. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and now, I mean, even though you are, I would say a little bit on the retired side, you're somebody who plays, <laughs> who plays guitar and goes to the, the senior center. Um, you know, you're still an advocate, right? Here you are decades. I, later. I do get out there and present on occasion still. Yes. Yeah. And I'll, I'll and you're, you're talk online. to parents. I mean, not just presenting, but you have developed an internet presence and a following that right? was how not, I met you. That right? was not really something I wanted to do. I was content being retired and letting the next generation of, of advocates just do their thing. I wanted to watch them accomplish more than the four of us originals did because I thought they would. I still think they will, but now we've got these other people, these other people. Right. We'll talk about the other people because. I mean, right. I think people, what I've noticed online is people are very drawn to you because you have a message um, as a self-advocate that's very understanding and very kind, caring and rational. And you, you don't put up with a lot of the animosity, right? That we parents right, well, experience. The, you know, know. I, think, I think the reason for that is because I've been out there. I've seen... I've seen the reality of what autism is on an, on an international scale. It wasn't just, so what do you mean it wasn't by that? just the ASA board. It wasn't just, um, it wasn't just the conferences. I also did some direct services. I did consulting with, with parents and school systems. Um, and I've worked with, you know, those barely affected to the most severe to everyone in between. So I've got this, kind of well-rounded view of what autism is from doing that and those uh, other other people we'll call them that for now other people I I don't think they have that you know they're just kind of sitting at home and calling themselves advocates mm -hmm. and I'd be okay with that if they were actually advocating <laughs> but uh, you know I think I, I think that experience 30 years of it has mm -hmm. has kind of uh, kind of shown me what it's like, not just to be the person with autism, but to be the parent. Because the parents have been so so open with me, and they've they like shared and told me these you know intimate things that they wouldn't tell other people. Mm -hmm. You know, trying to get help for their kids, and that's that's really kind of I think shown me who they are yeah. and so yes i i understand i get it mm -hmm. and i think i think that you know what that's what it is that's why if they're drawn to me jill that's why because i get it mm -hmm. yeah and, and that's not something we find among you know self-advocates <laughs> with autism um who you know make strong proclamations about their you know superiority and in right. all matters with well-being, as you have mentioned, um, extremely naive about the realities of of autism on the severe on the severe side. Um, so I think what, what's interesting about you, Tom, 
Um, and really the reason that I'm talking about talking to you today, first of all, we developed a friendship over guitar. Let's make that plain. <laughs> and uh, we also, um, you know, I, I, you know how much we, I have, I've appreciated your standing up for parents who have been bullied online. And um, I think that's what makes you really unique and a really, and really yeah, special. That's, that's got me face. bullied online. And you, will, you the, too bully. Uh, you're also right. Standing online. up for the parents who have been bullied online has gotten me bullied online. <laughs> oh, let's notice, you know, uh, Tom's actually in a wheelchair. We should mention this. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And as he said, that's not due to his autism. Autism doesn't cause <laughs> people to land in, in wheelchairs. But he no, has it doesn't. a neurological um, disorder. Um, kind of. Yeah, that, all that travel and all that work caught up to me. Yeah, you were ambulatory back then. I was. I was on my feet. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's talk about this online thing, um, this phenomenon, right? Of um, uh, what shall I say? Some cruelty, cruelty, and some bizarre, um, and I would say irrational crusading um, by a very vocal minority of people, you know, with high functioning autism or who are self-diagnosed. I want to talk about it because you know, I would say most parents have been on the receiving end of this. Um, and I, you know, you know, I, we could talk about the kind of things that it's usually there's, they have a little quiver of arrows, right? These people have a certain quiver and certain arrows that they throw at us. And they're things right. like, um, internal you know, ableism. Internal ableism. Yeah, let's talk about some of these. What What do you make of internal ableism? And what I, do they I'm mean not. By I'm it? not sure what that means. I don't consider myself to be. Um, I don't consider myself to be ableist. I'd like to think my record shows I'm not. Well, I, how do you even uh, define ableist? I, mean, I what well, does it that even mean? I think ableist, ableism may be in the eye of the beholder because I've noticed there's a lot of people online using it in a way that I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And I, I, it's not that it doesn't exist. I think it does. I, I just not sure it, it, it exists to the extent that they're saying that it does. And I'm not sure that the people who they are calling ableist really are ableist. I'm going to be honest. I don't even know what the term means. That term has no meaning to me. It has no meaning to me. I mean this. Well, it, 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 mean, it doesn't. It's does it mean discriminating? It's been used so many times in so many of the wrong ways that it, it's gotten to the point now where if I see the word, I just kind of roll my eyes and gloss over it and go on. It is a real thing. You know, it, it's. Um, what, can you define it for me? What is I, it I don't do? know that I can because everyone seems to think it's something different. The discrimination may not be so far off. I'm not sure it's so much discrimination as it is. Um, Presumptions? Or lack thereof. I don't know. Well, you know, like you know, like not maybe not really believing in in someone, or not not believing in their in their not capabilities. Not presuming competence, right? Uh, right. Well. Let, that's sort of the way I see it. I I could be wrong about that. You might get a bunch of emails now saying that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. 
mm-hmm. but um, you know, it, it's I know that it's that it is something negative, and I know that it's something that 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 we don't want, and I know that 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 there have been times where you know people with autism have been underestimated and that they kind of risen above and and shown us that they are more than mm-hmm. we think they are that's happened and i i love it when that happens i i love seeing people with autism succeed well that's I, ableist of you thomas because now you're you are preferring ability over disability you're preferring success over failure i am preferring ableist. success yeah they, they <laughs> but would, i would say that's say ableist that, yes. because i in my view ableism encompasses the notion that failure and success, disability and ability are all on the same plane. So, you know, the same moral plane. So listen, uh, I, I, we don't have to talk about able, <laughs> internalized ableism. You know, some of their other arrows, you know, in, in their quiver are that, you know, we parents can't understand autism because we don't have autism. Right? Uh, ableism is... Ableism is discrimination and social prejudice against people with disabilities and or people who are perceived to be disabled. So, yes, I guess ableism, to answer your question, goes back to your original thought that it would be discrimination. Okay. I just cheated and looked it up. I, okay. I could talk for a long time about why I think that makes no sense. But um, let, let's move on. But uh, what do you think about this idea that like the quote unquote hashtag actually autistic are always making against parents like me, you know, that, you know, here I have two kids with autism and I can't possibly understand them better right. than they can because right. they have the same label right. as my kids and they're in never life. met my kids, but presumably they know more than I, and than, that's than the I problem. You see, that's the problem is this, this thing that we're calling autism is, is so wide and encompassing mm-hmm. and everyone is so different. And you've got like these different levels and these different abilities and these different uh, problems and different deficits and different everything that, you know, you, you put me next to Sophie and there's going to be a difference there. Right. Oh, and, massive, not even right, the same in the same. Right. And it used to be it used to be that they were proud to be Asperger's. They would thump their chest and say, look at me, I'm an Aspie. Mm-hmm. And that was OK with me because I, I came along before there was an Asperger's syndrome. So I didn't feel affiliated with them in any way. And because they were Aspie and not autism they weren't affiliated with us. But then when this thing mm. came out about the possibility of Asperger being a Nazi, they changed it to autism. And then when they realized that they were autistic, they kind of felt that they, they knew everything and, and right. were able well, to speak for all DSM of us. Well, also the DSM got rid of you know, Asperger's. It did, and it did. It and that was before the whole Nazi thing came, contrary to what a lot of people think. Correct. Yeah, you're correct. But yeah, I mean, I think this has been one of the great debacles of autism, right? That, you know, people who are cognitively, um, you know, uh, strong cognitive abilities, strong communication abilities, um, strong adaptive abilities, but have kind of social quirks, 
are in the same category, the same diagnostic right. category as my kids who are nonverbal and function right. like at a preschool level. And like, that's a problem. It, it's absurd. It's not just a problem. I mean, it, it's, it's violently absurd. <laughs> it's and radically they, absurd. They, they, try radically to, absurd. they try to deal with that with the levels and it's not sufficient. It doesn't work. Yeah. It, and the levels are helpful, but not that I would agree. It's not sufficient because there's just not enough overlap in terms of, you know, their clinical manifestations to warrant putting, throwing them all under the same label. I mean, they, they should have retained Asperger's. Maybe they could have called it something else. I had a friend who was on the DSM committee. He's passed away. Um, and so he was one of the, the people who was very opposed to, you know, what, what ended up happening with the DSM. He was, a, he was a psychiatrist, a very knowledgeable fellow. And, you know, he said, you know, in, in the DSM-5, they created something called social communication disorder, right? There's a new diagnosis in the DSM-5 established in 2013. And that was supposed to be, in his view, you know, kind of the new Asperger's. Well, guess social what? Social communication no, disorder. Mm -hmm, and no one uses it. It might as well not even be in the DSM. That would no be for the, the ones that, like you were saying a little bit ago, are a little quirky. Yeah, the quirky people, like, you know, these the self-advocates who can spend all day tweeting, you know, with who, who are entirely in command of the English language, entirely in command of abstract thinking, right? So unlike our kids who lack that. Right, but, the ones who know, will not need the 24-7 care for the rest of their lives. Not remotely. It's an ident, they're, they're, you know, maybe they do have some, you know, frailties and they do have some impairments on the mild side, but they're not, you know, autism. But anyway, my, my point is that, you know, a lot of people who, who he would never have guessed would have stayed in the autism category, stayed in the autism category because no one used social communication disorder. So you have now, you know, this insane level of heterogeneity in the DSM-5. And we obviously at NCSA, we think it's a problem. I mean, what do you think? Well, I what, agree what should with we you. do? What yeah, what I, what do you think? I agree with you that it's a problem. I don't I I the bullies, if nothing else, have proven beyond any shadow of a doubt that it's a problem. I I am with the NCSA on adding profound autism to the DSM. There may be some people out there saying Thomas is a traitor for saying that. I understand their um concern about insurance. I totally get it. It is a possibility that it will affect insurance in a negative way. I understand that, but I think um, I think it needs to be something separate and something recognized. Yeah. And um, we actually haven't said what terms, uh, we haven't made, made it stand on like what terms to use. I think our only position is, you know, we need to do more subtyping. You know, Although we haven't specified how, we're 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 working on that. And um, I, I, not just not just with the lower functioning, but with the higher functioning as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. You know, um, unfortunately, that would put me in with them, which I don't like, because <laughs> I don't want to be anything like them. Well, it's a it, it's a big world of autism. As I said, it's a vocal minority of people with 
mild impairments who are yeah, really but they they to... think they're the majority. Mm-hmm. They there's your there's your there's your arrows in your quiver again. One of their arrows is we're the majority, and you have to you have to listen to us. Yeah, but that's okay. But that's an argument for separating out, right? I, I can't say they're major, they're the majority or not. If you look at what the CDC numbers suggest, um, then, the, I, then the I ma- don't majority of people with autism have borderline intellectual disability or full-on intellectual disability, right? right. They, are, they are not the high-functioning. If you believe the CDC numbers, which are eight-year-olds. Um, so I don't know. We're, we're going to run out of time. and we're, I think we're going to play a guitar duet. We're going to really annoy our audience. Um, oh, do you want? To, I have mine right over here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what 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 advice do you have for parents? You know, who are who are facing this? You know, these insane attacks but, online. Told, from the guy they don't who, love their kids. Who are told, you right. know, their kids aren't flourishing because they're bad parents. I do know? have advice. Okay, this what? this advice comes from a guy who just drew a blank on ableism a little bit ago, and forgive me for that, guys. But uh, I I do have some advice and if my advice is if you are one of these parents if you are one of these parents who are being told that that you don't love your kids if you're one of these parents who are being told the best thing you can do is listen to the actually autistic if you're being one of these parents is being told that the majority of autistic people think this or feel that if you're being attacked for the puzzle piece, I wish we could have talked about the puzzle piece a <laughs> we little still, bit. Okay, we, have, we have a few minutes. So <laughs> really, do, talk do we, can we talk piece. about the puzzle piece? Um, I was, I was a part of that. I was a part of creating a puzzle piece. I it was uh, me and 14 others. I'm, I'm kind of a co-creator of that. And my, I I understand that that there are people who don't like it and I'm okay with that because all of us are different and all of us perceive things in different ways. We all have our likes and dislikes and a puzzle piece is going to appeal to some and not to others. And I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is those, uh, those people who are accusing me and 14 other good people who made sacrifices for the autism community, accusing us of creating an international hate symbol, because that is not what happened. It's insane. It's It's an insane accusation. It is. And they based that on the previous symbol, the one from 63, the crying child from the UK. You've seen it. Mm, Yeah, yeah, And we were aware of that going into this. And we... You know, it, it's really kind of the opposite of what they said. We were aware of that. We kind of wanted to turn that on its ear because when we got to the symbol, it was 99, which was some years after 63. And by that time, we knew a little more about what autism was and how it worked. And we there, there was no longer that feeling of hopelessness about it. And we kind of wanted to get rid of that. And so we took the crying child out of the puzzle piece and we, we kind of changed it to these, this multicolored interlocking puzzle pieces. And the, 
it's it's not a symbol of hate it's a it's a symbol of hope and a symbol of respect the the puzzle the the puzzle pieces themselves you know represent yes there is a puzzle to this thing and we're not saying never were saying that any group of people or any one individual is a puzzle or that they're missing pieces like we're being told what we were saying is there's some things about this that we haven't figured out yet and that remains true almost 25 years later you it know, remains very it, true i mean right there's still uh, some it, things it, there's we don't nothing know. as puzzling i would say in the field of medicine as autism right. it is a puzzle we hardly know what causes it we hardly know how to treat it we hardly know how to develop policy right to right. address what and people need we hardly we know learned, how to prevent it it's right, a puzzle. For all we have learned we still don't know anything. I agree. Very well, not anything, but very precious little. Precious uh, the, the colors, the colors represent the diversity, the people like me and the people like Sophie and the people in between. Mm-hmm. You know, we were trying to respect the autism community enough to fit everyone in there. And mm-hmm. the brightness of the colors is the opposite of the crying child. It represents hope. And well, that's listen, what the puzzle piece is about. People will just manufacture, right? Um, you know, controversy. They'll yes. manufacture, it'll draw attention to themselves. It'll, you know, kind of uh, give them some sort of uh, moral authority, right? By, by doing so, even if it's based on BS. All right, Thomas, get out yes. your, get your guitar. I give you a... Uh, uh, that article that I wrote for you, it's kind of, if I had known it was going to go viral, I would have written it differently. It's kind of become a part of the argument. There's like this oh, link yeah. war. There's there's like this link war on social media now. Someone posts that, that other link, the ableist history of the autism puzzle piece. And then right underneath that, you'll always find the one that I wrote for you, the puzzle piece, what it really means. And it's like, there's this little link war online between those two links, which I didn't see coming. I will put that in the show notes. I'll put that in the show notes. Oh, you mean the link? Oh, you know what? By the way, I I, I interrupted myself. I was asking you for advice for parents. Yes, I do have that. I I kind of interrupted myself with the puzzle piece. If you are a parent, blah, 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 all those things I said before. Uh, I, I, I guess my advice would be to understand and to realize, despite what you might be being told by those people, is you know your child better than they do and you know your child better than anyone does and all of that travel and all of that work i did i have said this over and over and over again i've said this for years you can look it up the one thing i have taken away from all of that the 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 one thing i have taken away from all of that is that the parents do love their kids i am absolutely convinced of that because i have seen it time and time and time again i have seen sacrifices oh, even even sacrifice? um, um what's her name um um the one with the fire the one that was with NCSA. Feta, that's Feta. it that's uh, yeah, it our, our i mean good lord i mean she died because she loved her son absolutely talk about the ultimate sacrifice that Feta made no greater love is there than this none and and you know just just that just that 
you know, an example close to your organization is enough to prove it. If she didn't care about her kids, she wouldn't have gone back in. You know, parents do love their kids. And, and I have seen that. And um, it's, it's rare that I've seen a parent die for their kids, but I have seen, I've seen them give up their jobs, their homes, their mortgages, their, their, their marriages, their time, everything, their, everything, their, their everything health, they have. their sanity. And like mm-hmm. you said, everything they have, even in that yeah. case, her life yeah. for their kids, just because that's how much they love them. I know. So I know. So and my then, advice you know, is don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Yeah. Well, thank right. you, Thomas. Appreciate those words. All right. Well, let's, let's go out on, on a, on a musical a note. Concert. On a, a piece that I don't know how to play. <laughs> so yes, everybody, be forewarned. This is this one's not on my playlist, but Thomas suggested. So do you do you have I something play a bit. on your do you have something on your playlist? Is there a oh, song you've been we, learning? We haven't gone over <laughs> coming over. I, I'm happy to try this one. All right. We're oh wait, wait. We I do, have to like, I have to shift the microphone because Oh yeah, shift your microphone. There, I probably sound a little different now. Yes. Okay. You sound good. All so, right. You do start with A. Okay. Are we going to, do you have it? Who do sings? you have the music right there? Oh, I do, do it's on have, my phone. <laughs> oh, do I have to, I don't want to sing. I can't really sing anymore. Both of us are not good singers, people. I could do a little harmonica if you like. That uh, might be too much. Let's go. Are we gonna? Uh, do we dare? Do we Let's dare go. sing to your to your to your? We're gonna to your sing. Audience? We're gonna sing it. We're gonna sing to our audience, and they will. Okay, I just wanted to put that in there to give them a moment to turn podcast. it off before we did. Yeah, everyone's gonna turn this right off. So if you're still listening, <laughs> then that's at your that's at your own risk. So I'm ready now. Having said that, I'm ready. We've been talking about guitar for some time, so you know yeah. we have to do this. All right, start with a couple of A's. Ready? Five, six, seven, eight. Almost, Almost heaven. heaven. West, West Virginia. Virginia. <laughs> Blue Ridge Mountains. Shenandoah River. Life is over Okay, maybe with a little practice, we might actually sound coherent. This was like completely unrehearsed, guys. We, we, the first time we've ever played it together. Listen. And it shows. Know, it shows, it shows, but. Um, but it was kind of fun. Interview. I don't remember you ever playing guitar on a podcast before. 
No, this is the first. I've only been playing guitar for a couple months. So I'm, I'm brand new. This art form. Okay, Thomas. Well, with that incredible concert, I thank you for all of your decades of service to the autism community and especially to those who have it more severe than you do and for your empathy for them and for standing up for them. I really do um, commend you for all of that. And I wish you good health. And I, I know I will see you online. People, where can people find you, Thomas? Like if they want to friend you on Facebook, tell them like. Uh, well, you can, you, can, uh, you can put that in the show notes as well. Uh, put that down there. I'll put that in the show notes. So uh, that would your... be, you know, I, I tried a couple of those, uh, those social media places and it got too hard to keep up with all of them. So I, I, uh, people told me they wanted me on Facebook. So that's where I am. Yep. And okay. it would be Facebook slash uh, Thomas A. McKean, all one word. Great. All right. And you always post interesting things. So friend Thomas. Okay, people. Uh, Thomas, it's been lovely. And um, I will be seeing you online and probably not in Ohio unless I make it out there sometime. But thank you so well, much. Well, yeah, we'll do lunch if you do. If I do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Confidential. If you'd like to learn more, share an idea for an episode, or become a sponsor, please visit us at autismconfidential.org. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individual speakers. Content presented is for informational purposes only, and we do not provide any medical or legal advice.